Hey, if you would grab your Bible, flip with me to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, totally fine. We've got a big Bible just over my shoulder here that glows. That's kind of nice. Then we have Bibles around the room as well, and you can uh, grab one of those. And if you don't have one at home, take those, break them in. I would be excited for you to have one of those. And uh, then, as always, we have them on our church app as well. So uh, Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. This is the second to last installment of what we're calling our summer fruit series. We're walking through what the, the book of Galatians chapter 5 calls the fruit of the Spirit. Verses 22 and 23 say, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We heard our kids sing about it last week. And so we're studying these one by one, sometimes two at a time throughout the course of our summer. One more week to go after this. Uh, But I want to remind us as we do every single week about the root of the fruit. And the root of the fruit is the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. That is the Spirit of God comes and indwells you and then enlivens you and lives through you. He empowers you. And so when you become a Christian, you are saying, I am moving from independence from God and moving to total dependence on God. God, I need you. I need you to support me. I need you to strengthen me. I need you to make me right, to change me. And he loves, loves to do that. And so what happens is when that happens, the attributes of God are now available to you, that you can now live out the attributes of God as you submit him. And so today we're going to study another one of those that I believe that you can live out as you submit to God and his power within you, and that is the fruit of gentleness. An attribute of God that should be yours, can be yours, gentleness. So let's read together Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. These are words of Jesus, and right in the middle of these words of Jesus that we're going to look at this morning, he says, I am gentle. And so the reality that we need to begin with this morning is that gentleness is found in Jesus. And and I would imagine many of us don't have a really strong example of gentleness in our life. Perhaps your father wasn't very gentle with you. Maybe the people that you find yourself surrounded with at at work are not gentle. Maybe your extended family is just not marked by gentleness. Jesus says, I am gentle. Gentleness is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. But what is gentleness? What is what is gentleness? I mean, real simple, I give it to you this way. Gentleness is power restrained. When somebody possesses power, but they're able to restrain their power, they're able to control their power, focus their power, that's gentleness. Now, now many of you guys know that that I'm a drummer, and uh, so I remember when I was 12 years old, I picked up my very first pair of drumsticks, and... uh, I'm telling you, when you get a pair of drumsticks, what do you need to do with drumsticks? You just need to start wailing on stuff, right? I mean, that's just what you do with drumsticks. And my, my, my parents tell me I just beat on everything all over the house. And so eventually they said, you need to be a drummer. Here's some sticks. And I got my first pair uh, of drumsticks. And, and I have 
uh, a drum set down in my basement right now, and my kids will go down there from time to time. In fact, one of them did yesterday, and they just go down and grab the drumsticks and just, just beat on the thing, just, just completely wail on the thing. But listen, that's easy. It's easy to just, just to go all out and just beat on a, on a drum kit. What's difficult is being able to restrain your power and to play skillfully and, and lightly. And so if I were to give uh, just the average person a pair of drumsticks and say, play as fast as you can, here's what they're probably going to do. They're going to go like this. And they're just going to beat as hard as they can. But if you give drumsticks to a, a drummer who's skillful, they're going to go like this. They're going to play real soft and, and real fast. They're able to restrain their power. That's a sign of, of skill. And, and gentleness is power restrained. And, and I think that's best displayed for us in Jesus. In fact, right here in this chapter, if you look ahead of where we just read, in, in verses 20 through 24, uh, compare that to 20 through, 25 through 30. 20 through 24, we see his power on display. He talks about his mighty works. He talks about a fiery judgment for unrepentant cities who have been wicked. I mean, that's, that's power, right? He has power. But then in verses 25 through 30 here, we see power can be restrained as he refers to us as little children, as he speaks to you and, and me who are, are tired and, 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 and burdened. It's power that he has. It's his. The power that, that can be restrained and applied gently. Uh, another really important passage that is just rich in theology is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Listen to, listen to what it says here of, of Jesus. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So it's available to you. Just like the fruit of the Spirit, as David taught us last week, they're all available to you. They're, they're yours. They're, they're, they're yours. They're available to you as you submit to Him. It says, Have this mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so what we read here is, is, is that Jesus is God. He is all-powerful God. Yet he empties himself and takes on the form of a servant. He can restrain his power to become a, a man, be born as a man, live as a man, and die as a man. A horrific, horrific death. That's, that's power restrained. And, and during his life, he's constantly restraining his, his power. He's mocked and he's treated with contempt. And he could have just silenced everybody who did that to him in an instant. But he restrains his power. At his death, he's he's stripped naked, he's beat, he's humiliated, he's hung on a cross. He could have hopped off of that cross. In fact, they say, if you're God, why don't you hop off of that cross? But he doesn't because he knows he needs to stay on the cross to pay the price for our sin. Could have jumped off and slaughtered them right then and there. But he doesn't because he restrains his power. And what this passage in Philippians chapter 2 will remind us of is that Jesus restrains his power for a selfless purpose. Jesus will restrain his power for other people, for a selfless purpose. And, and we're reminded in this passage that we have this attitude, this mentality, it's available to us today in Christ Jesus, that we can live like this because of the Spirit of Jesus Christ 
within us. And so if Jesus can restrain his power for a selfless purpose, the question for all of us this morning is, are you willing, am I willing to restrain our power for a selfless purpose, for the good of other people? Not, not God's power, we're not God, but we do have power available to us. You might be saying, no, 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 you don't get it. I don't, I don't have power. I'm not influential. I'm not wealthy. I'm not in some kind of leadership role. I, I, I'm not particularly strong, whether physically or emotionally. I, I just don't have power. But you do. Let me, let me just give you one area where you have power, and hopefully that'll set your mind to spinning to thinking about other areas where you have power that you might not realize. I, I get to travel around quite a bit and talk to teenagers and and children. I've done a bit of that this summer, so thank you for being gracious and letting me take off. But uh, when I do that, especially with, with children and teenagers, I love, love, love to, to do object lessons. I mean, Jesus does object lessons. The woman at the well, and he talks about how he uh, can provide water where she will never thirst again. He brings a child and says, I want you to be like a, a, a child. He, I mean, he goes on and on and on, a uh, fishing net, and then he talks about making us fishers of men, bread, and how we can have the bread of life. And so Jesus does object lessons. I love doing object lessons. And years ago, I was talking to children about taming the tongue, about being very cautious with their words. And so what I did is I brought a hammer up on stage and their eyes all lit up and I had this big hammer on stage. And and I started teaching from the book of James about uh, being careful with your words. And while I'm teaching from the book of James, I'm actually building a little birdhouse. And, and I had to kind of prolong myself because I'm not particularly skillful. Uh, so I was long, prolonging my words so I could get this birdhouse finished. And it looked pretty ugly, to be honest. But I, I finished up this birdhouse and uh, said, listen, you have the opportunity with your mouth to build up other people. That's why God gives you a mouth so that you can speak and edify, the Bible says, or to build other people up. But then, to their excitement, I took the hammer and just started smashing the birdhouse, and it just started exploding, and little pieces started flying everywhere, and they jumped up. Yeah, they loved it. And I said, likewise, just like you have the power to build others up, with your tongue, you can also destroy people. And hopefully, you're realizing now, I do have power. You have a mouth, you have words, you have people you speak to on a daily basis. We all, every single one of us, have, have power. Every single one of us. Our mouths, we have our actions, the way we, we behave, the way we respond to people. We have power in decisions that we make that don't just affect us, they affect other people in our lives. Every single one of us has power. The question is, are you willing, whatever that power is, to restrain your power for a selfless purpose? Are you willing to be cautious and careful with your power for the good of other people? That is gentleness, restraining your, your power. Let me remind you, as I have all summer long, that, that fruit, as we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, fruit is born for being picked. We bear fruit for, for picking, not so that we can have fruit be proud of ourselves, and then it falls on the ground and rots like we see when we go apple picking in a month or so here. But fruit is born so that it can be picked and enjoyed by others and that it might bless others. And your Christ-like gentleness will make a massive impact on other people. And so here's what I want to do for most of the rest of our time together is I want to point us to how our gentleness can bless other people. So here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to just 
do a, a little biblical survey of types of people that are beneficiaries of Christian gentleness. So if you're a note taker, here's a great time to start taking notes. Types of people who are beneficiaries of, of gentleness. And, and we'll go through some of them in the order that they appear in the New Testament and start spinning off from there. And, 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 and the first person that I believe is a beneficiary of spirit-empowered New Testament gentleness is the exhausted. The exhausted. Our primary text today, Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, is the very first occurrence of the word gentle in the New Testament. And it's not specified what they're tired from, except in that it clarifies you will find rest for your souls. Why? Because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. So we're talking about the the spiritually exhausted, those people who have tried and tried and tried to do what's right. They've tried to obey the rules. They've tried to be holy. They've tried to to please God. And, And yet, maybe this is you, you've been dealt harshly with, whether by religious people who say you're just not good enough, or maybe even by yourself many times, and you're just hard on your, yourself. But when you meet Jesus, here's what you find. You can see it all through his, his ministry on earth. You find someone who deals gently with you, who deals graciously with you. And so you want to be wherever he is. In his presence, you find rest for your soul, not striving, not I expect you more, expect more, expect more. He says, I've done it all for you. And so... Biblical gentleness is, is for the exhausted. Maybe that's you this morning. Another, another beneficiary of biblical gentleness is, is the wandering. Someone who's, who's wandering. The, the person who at one time, they found spiritual rest for their soul in Jesus. But right now, they're, they're kind of wandering from Jesus. Listen, listen to Paul in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 14 through 21, speaking to a church that is spiritually wandering. Just, just listen in on this and, 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 and just try to really capture some of the, the stuff that he says. He says this, he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not, uh, I will find out uh, that these arrogant people, uh, their power, but for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness. And, and so Paul here is, is he, he, he's talking to people who are wandering, a church who, who he, he helped start and now they're, they're struggling and they're, they're drifting. And, and how does he say that he deals with them? He says, I deal with you gently and as a father. I, I love how he says, you have countless guides in Christ. In other words, you have lots of people who want to, to exercise spiritual leadership over you. He says, but you do not have many fathers. You have lots of people who want to exercise spiritual leadership over you, but you don't have people who deal with you like a father, who deal patiently with you and, and gently with you as a, as, a, as a good father would with his child. Let me ask all of us here today, uh, what do you do 
when another Christian messes up. You're a believer. You've got people around you that you love and you care for. What do you do when they mess up? Do you quickly get mad and, and frustrated and cry? What a hypocrite. Or do you gently seek to bring them back to walking with the Lord? We need to see what they're doing as a symptom of something that's going on in their heart. In this case, these folks had, they didn't have any kind of spiritual father. They didn't have someone training and teaching and caring for them and helping them to live in a way that honors God. And so when you see other Christians struggling, don't let yourself get mad and frustrated, but let your heart grow in compassion towards them. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, says it this way. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Such an important passage as to how we're to deal with other Christians who are in fact Christians, but they're wandering from God. It says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, and it's not caught as in you're busted, caught you red-handed, but it's caught as in you're trapped. They were wandering on a path, they slid off the side of the hill, and they got their foot caught. They're, they're trapped. Imagine a hiker doing that. Imagine a hiker hiking along by themselves and they wander off the path and they slip down a hill and, and they get their, their foot caught in between s- some rocks there. And, and then you go and you find them. And you can't just say, oh no, you're stuck and just yank them out immediately. You have to be gentle with how you yank them out. Perhaps they twisted their ankle or they got some cuts or some bruises. You have to restore them to the path in a spirit uh, of gentleness. That's how we should act as believers. We should be mindful of what got them there, of the predicament that they're in. We should be prayerful to help the wandering. God's grace applies to them not just at their moment of salvation, but God's grace applies to them now in the midst of their their struggle. Always be gracious as Jesus is gracious to them. And if you're a a Christian who finds yourself right now wandering, come home. And you're going to come home to this church who, who loves you and cares for you and who's, who longs to be gracious with you. And so perhaps graciousness needs to be applied to the wandering in, in this place even today or people who are wandering that you know of. Another one for you is, is biblical uh, gentleness needs to be applied to uh, the young Christian. We've got a lot of young Christians in our midst and, and biblical gentleness needs to be applied to them because they're uniquely vulnerable. Whether they're, they're young in age, they're just a young person who's a Christian, or they're a young Christian in that they have maybe recently come to faith in Christ and they're not very mature in their faith yet. And so you need to treat them like a, a plant, for example. You, you've got a young sapling growing up and you have to be very gentle with how you deal with it or how you transplant it and you have to be cautious or treat it like a, an infant where you have to pass them but be very careful to, to make sure that their head's not not, not unsupported, and you have to be, be gentle. I, I love what Paul says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 6-8. through 8. Listen to how he says it here with regards to the young Christians in Thessalonica. He says, Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you've become so very dear to us. So these new believers, he says, here's what we could have done. 
We could have made demands of you. You need to honor God. You need to live for the Lord. We, we could have demanded you. But instead, we were like a, a gentle and nursing mother. They're young in their faith. We need to be careful with how we deal with them. I have a buddy who, who he's been a believer for over a decade now, but I believe he's still in a, kind of a state of spiritual infancy. He hasn't really matured in his, his faith yet. And I believe it's because he had a really rough story, just really tough background. And, and as a brand new Christian, in the midst of his difficult story, there were, there were a lot of Christians who came around him, a, a few in particular, who, who were, they were sincere and excited about his new faith. And so they just wanted to help him get right quick and, and live for Jesus quick. And they were aggressive and they were, they were rough and, and they tried to clean him up and, 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 and not let just kind of the natural process of sanctification with some support from believers take place. You ever heard the phrase, trust the process? We've got to trust the process. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says this. says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That is, it's not on us to make them mature. We're to disciple and we're to care. But God does that. God's spirit does that in time. And so don't rush the sanctification process. Don't expect them to act like they're 10 years old in their faith when they're 10 weeks old in their faith. Be gentle. Be gentle with young people believers. Be gentle. And so God's gentleness is applied to them and we should apply it to them. Let me give you another one I think is particularly sensitive in this season of our faith, especially in America, is is gentleness needs to be applied to those who are under leadership. And we're all under leadership in some capacity. And in that relationship, gentleness needs to be uh, applied. For some reason, people who are in leadership oftentimes struggle with being gentle. They, they, they just do. And what's crazy is that it proves true not just in you know, governmental dictatorships. It proves true even in Christian churches. I mean, as I was saying, over the past couple of years, I, I've noticed in, in, in articles and, and, and things that I, I've read that, that for the very first time you're hearing about pastors who are being removed from leadership positions for reasons like harshness, for reasons like a domineering spirit, for reasons like being unteachable. And on one hand, it breaks my heart to hear that. These men who are proclaiming to lead under the example of Jesus, the chief shepherd, the chief pastor, are are being harsh, completely unlike Jesus. While on the other hand, it actually kind of excites me that for the first time it seems like churches are really taking this serious, the, the qualifications of an elder, an overseer, or a pastor, and First uh, Timothy 3 and Titus 1 that it's, say things like this. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a, a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be gentle, it says. Or it'll say things in, in Titus like, he must not be arrogant. He must not be quick to quick-tempered. And yet, too often, I just hear of, of people who, man, they just, they had a terrible experience with a, a Christian leader who was harsh and arrogant and, and quick-tempered and domineering, just not like, just not like Christ at all. Now, I want to be clear here because this, this can get a little bit fuzzy. This does not mean that when a Christian leader or a Christian friend challenges you 
to be holy, to return to the faith, you're wandering, you're not, it does not mean that immediately that means that they are being unloving and they are being harsh for challenging you. Sometimes the most loving thing that a person can do is call you to walk with Christ. So it's a tough balance. But as a, as a person in any kind of leadership role, any kind of leadership role, we have to be very cautious to be gentle with the people that are under your leadership. Just a few more I want to give you. Another area, another person that can be a beneficiary, should be a beneficiary of Christian, Holy Spirit, empowered gentleness is your spouse. For those of you who are married or if you're in any kind of relationship, romantic relationship, you need to really work on this one here. Our, our spouses should be beneficiaries of our gentleness. And husbands and wives, we love each other so much that when we fight, we oftentimes fight with passion, right? We get passionate because we love them. And we want them to see the way we do. We want them to, to respond the way we respond and we care for them. And so we get, we get passionate. This is the, the second most important relationship in our lives, second to our relationship with God. There are no other relationships, human relationships, that are more important than your relationship with your spouse, even your relationship with your kids. You've got them in, in a living capacity for 18, 25, 30 years, I don't know, but your spouse for your lifetime. Men, in particular, we need to be reminded of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, we are to honor our wives as a weaker vessel. This doesn't mean we treat her like a little child, like a little weak one. It means that she's the weaker vessel. We are to honor him. When I think weak vessel, I think what a vessel is is something you pour fluid into. I think about my fine china that we put up on the top shelf of the hutch. It's not demeaning, it's honoring. And so we are gentle with our fine china. We are to be gentle men with our, our, our spouses, how we treat them, how we... Uh, care for them, how we speak to them. We're to be gentle. Ephesians 5 says it, says it this way, that we're to treat her in the way that Jesus has treated you with love towards her, nourishment towards her, cherishing her. That's how men are to be to their wives. And wives, both in the, in the same two passages, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5, it, it will say for you to respect your husband. You have massive power with regards to your husbands. Massive power with regards to how you speak in particular to your husband. Restrain the temptation to demean him. To constantly point out his flaws and his shortcomings. Do a little mental checklist, a little survey as to what's coming out of your mouth more frequently. His failures, his struggles, his areas of lack, or are you affirming him more? It should be way heavy, way heavy on, on this side. Let him know you believe in him. Let him know you're for him. And those words will help change the other areas that you find are lacking. Men and women, gentleness in marriage at home will bless every single aspect of your life. Because when you can come home to a place where you know someone cares for you and is gentle with you, when the world around you is hostile and people outside of your doors are, are hostile and, and it's difficult for you, you should be able to come home to a place of gentleness and know I'm good because this one loves me. This one honors me. This one cares for me. This one respects me. Gentle words, gentle touch, intimacy, 
It's all a gift of God that will help you to press on outside of the doors of the house. Another familial relationship where we're to apply gentleness is with our children. Should be obvious. Parents, we have to keep this in check. We really do. Really have to keep this in check. And similar to spousal relationships, there's a lot of love for your kids. And so there can be a lot of passion towards your kids. And it can get heated towards your kids. And so you're more likely to struggle with gentleness towards your spouse and your kids and probably anybody else because there's such passion for them. And their, their spirits are so fragile. Their spirits are so vulnerable, more than you could possibly begin to imagine. I know that we're coming off of summer break. And so many parents, your kids have been in the house all summer long. And you're thinking, okay, I'm going to register them for school and drop them off first day of school and I'm going to go check myself into the psych ward because it's been crazy, right? And I know the feeling. Trust me, I get it. You're at the end of your rope. But listen, you have to check yourself that you are being gentle. We've already looked at some scriptures about how moms are a great example of gentleness. And so dads, I think we're the ones who we have to be extremely cautious here extremely aware here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, will go out of his way, uh, Paul, to, to speak to us about this. And he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I believe God gives us this command knowing that we might have a unique struggle here as men. We've got a lot of stress trying to provide for our families, trying to care for our families. We come home after a hard day. We lack the, maybe the tender touch of, uh, of mom. And so we have to be very careful here. I wonder how many of the dads in this room have, have noticed when you go out with your kids, especially with little girls, and you go out with them, you get all the stares and people, oh, so sweet. Oh, what's her name? How old is she? And you get a lot of that. But I talk to my wife about that. She says, nobody ever does that for me. <laughs> I mean, it's like go to the grocery store and I got a little girl who cares, right? That's normal. I think it has something to do with the reality that in our culture, in our world, it's, it's uncommon to see a man on a date with his daughter. It's uncommon to see a man being tender and spending time with his, his young children. Fellas, I would challenge all of us as believers under the example of Jesus to resolve in our hearts to destroy this cultural anomaly. I would challenge us to, to pursue more than almost anything else in this world being heroes in our home. And I stole that line from a guy that I knew who, who died at a young age, had three kids at home, and at the funeral they read his journal, and he had a list in his journal of, of goals in his life, and one of them at the top was, I want to be a hero in my home. And ever since that day I've adopted, I want to be a hero in my home. So men, we have to pursue gentleness. And I'll tell you this, you're going to mess up. Maybe you're looking back and it's so clear, I have messed up big time. Let me just say this. Here's what you do. You repent. You don't, have to, you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to pretend like you're always right. You repent. Do what I did yesterday. I struggled with it yesterday, to be honest. My boys pushing each other's buttons all day long. I think I had a little bit to do with it because I started wrestling them in the basement. And then I left and they kept wrestling and then started beating each other. And they were pushing each other's buttons, pushing mom and dad's button. And I'm stressed with other things going on. And, and so I just got to a point where I just got too sharp with them. And I said, get outside. <laughs> Go ride your skateboard. Give me some space. 
And then I had to step outside and say, hey, would you come back in? I said, Dad needs to apologize. I, I, was, I was too sharp with you. And guess what? The rest of the day was great. It was fine. We have to humble ourselves. Men, I think many of us have a particular difficulty with humbling ourselves and saying I was wrong. But I'm telling you, when you do that, it diffuses so much. It honors the Lord. And you think, oh, well, my kids don't want me to be wrong. They need me to be right all the time. They need to see that dad has, has really lived to it. I'm telling you, when you get to apologize and ask for forgiveness, maybe even greater lessons are learned about the grace of God from your kids. Gentleness with your children. This is huge. It's huge. Maybe you could do this. In these familial relationships, ask your spouse on the way home. Hey, would you be honest with me? And they will. How am I doing in the area of gentleness? With you? With the kids? They'll be honest with you. And then maybe you need to confess and repent and be restored. One more. One more relationship where Christians are to apply gentleness. And that is with the not yet Christian. We need to apply gentleness with the not yet Christian. You like that phrase? I've been trying to use that more lately instead of non-Christian or lost person. The, the not yet Christian. I heard it from somebody and I thought it was really great because what that implies is I have faith that they will come to, 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 to relationship with Jesus. That they will find rest for their souls. Here's what 1 Peter chapter 3.15 says. It says, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have, but do it with, catch this, gentleness and respect. Somebody sees that you're different and you have the opportunity to share the reason for the hope that you have. You have an opportunity to share what God has done in your life. It says, do it, take it, look for them, but do it with gentleness and respect. You ever heard a Christian trying to win an argument as to why Jesus is God or why you should believe my Bible or why you're wrong? So bogus. Never in my lifetime, in my ministry, have I ever heard of a person being argued to faith in Jesus. Share some points, but keep it gentle. Keep it respectful. Be lowly and humble in heart. Don't belittle them. I can't believe you don't believe this. I can't believe you believe that. Don't, don't demean them. Don't treat them as though they're any lesser, as though they don't have the imago Dei, the image of God that, that, that we all have. Don't rob them of that. Be gentle and respectful, knowing that some people it takes 50 years and other people it takes one hearing that they respond to the gospel. When you're gentle, you get a more attentive ear. The not yet Christian. Now, let's just... Just think back with me through all of these relationships that we just walked through where gentleness can and should be applied. And I'm sure there's more. Think back through all of those. Imagine in these relationships if we were gentle. If you were gentle and those people in your lives, with those, those people. I tell you, I believe we would enjoy life more. I'm not trying to be harsh and defensive and Improving our point all the time. But just being gentle. Proverbs 51 says this way. This is a, a gentle answer 
turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. You want to stir up anger or do you want to turn away wrath? Diffuse the situation. Gentleness. And you can be gentle as the Spirit of Christ indwells you. Where's the gentleness from? It's from Jesus. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And so when you turn from independence from God and turn to complete dependence on God, faith in God through what Jesus has done, you now have access to this supernatural kind of gentleness. You have the capacity to display love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Gentleness is from Jesus. I just want to close by just just showing you some characteristics that you're going to have when you have Jesus' gentleness. Characteristics that I I really believe every single one of us long to have. And so returning back to to Matthew chapter 11 to, to close it out this morning. Three characteristics that, that I think we all want. Here's the first one. With, with Jesus' gentleness, we become approachable. If we're not gentle, we're not approachable. People don't come to us. Jesus says, come to me. Why? Eventually he says, for I am gentle. But if you lack gentleness, people don't come to you. They don't want to be near you. They avoid you. Jesus says, come to me. You can be approachable if Jesus' gentleness is displayed in your life. The, the, the next characteristic with Jesus' gentleness is that we become enjoyable. We, we become enjoyable. Jesus says, I'll give you rest for I'm gentle. You, you can come and you can rest in me. You, you, you'll like being around me. You'll long to be in my, my, my presence. But if you, if I lack gentleness, people don't find rest around you. They don't find refreshing around you. You just stress them out. They don't want to be near you. You're not enjoyable. But Jesus' gentleness makes people first want to approach you. And then when they approach you, they want to stay around you. They enjoy being with you. And then the next thing from Matthew 11 that, that we see here, with Jesus' gentleness, we become influential. We can make an impact. Jesus says, learn from me, for I am gentle. But if you lack gentleness, people don't want to listen to you. If you lack gentleness, you lack credibility. And so I'm telling you, these characteristics, you'll be approachable, you'll be enjoyable, and you'll be then influential to send them out. Now apply those three to all of these relationships that we've talked about this morning. Insert any of these relationships into these characteristics. With your pre-Christian friends, you can be approachable. They want to talk to you. And even though they might differ with you on thoughts of faith and the purpose of life, they still like to be around you. And then eventually in time, you can influence them and impact them. Think about young people. You're old and and you're different from them. You look different. You dress different. Your stories are different. But you can have a relationship with young people. Some of these college students that are coming in over the next few weeks, for example. With them, you can be approachable. And they enjoy being with you. And you can influence them if you have Jesus' gentleness. The wayward Christian 
with a wayward Christian, you're approachable, you're enjoyable, you're influential. With your spouse, you're approachable, you're enjoyable, you're influential. They want to be with you. They want to spend time with you. And then you can impact them and they can impact you. But the one that I'm telling you is I've been preparing this week that just keeps stirring me up is with my children. Fearful of the day. Pray that it would never come where I'm not approachable by my kids. They don't want to come to dad. They don't enjoy being around dad. And dad can't make an impact because dad's lost all credibility. Because he's not gentle with them. This is how Jesus wants us to treat people on earth. Because this is how Jesus has treated us. He was approachable. He says, you can come to me. He says, I I give you rest when you come to me. You're going to long to be in my presence. It's refreshing in in my presence. And he was influential. He says, you can learn from me. You can be my disciple. I can help you to live and help you to walk the life that you want to walk and live. And so the reality we need to close with is the same reality that we began with, and that is that gentleness is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. So if you want to be gentle, look to Jesus. If you want to be gentle, don't go try to be gentle. Be with Jesus and learn from him. And then he'll impact you and help you to go be like him. And there's others of us in this room who I'd say this. Maybe, maybe you're at a place where you never received what Matthew 11 is talking about here. You've never taken his yoke upon you, as he says. A yoke is this animal frame that, that you've seen it hanging. We put it up as a decorative thing these days. But you put it up on the, on the back of two oxen or other animals so that they could work together in tandem. And he says, it's a heavy yoke. You're pulling, you're doing work. He says, take that yoke. And he carries that yoke on himself on the cross. He says, and let me give you my yoke of forgiveness and graciousness and love and peace and hope. It's light. Take that. Some of you, you never received that yoke. You never turned from independence from God and turned to complete and total dependence on God where you're saying, God, I need you. I trust in you. What Jesus has done on the cross, I need that. Because I recognize my sin and my need for, for forgiveness of sin. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Bearing and resurrecting back to life. I believe in that. I trust in that. I receive the forgiveness of sin. I receive that light yoke in exchange for my sin. Wherever you're at, Jesus wants to deal gently with you this morning and graciously with you. Whether you're wandering from him or you've never come to him for the first time or you're expected to be gentle, but you just haven't been gentle. As we take a moment now to to assess, I, I would encourage you, would you talk to God? Would you guys just close your eyes for a moment here? We like to do this every week is just respond to the scriptures. And with your eyes closed, just to get distractions out of the way, would you respond to the scriptures? Some of you right now, you need to say yes to Jesus. Come to him. Place faith in him. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
from sin and death into life and a new mission. And so in the best way you know how, come to Jesus this morning if that's you. And then there's others of us in here who, you have been walking with Jesus, but but you've not been displaying the gentleness fruit. I would encourage you, maybe you need to, to confess first to God and then later today to other people. To repent, to turn from it and turn to living the life that God wants you to live. And so as we pray and we respond in song, let me give you the chance to, to talk to God. In the quietness of this moment, would we all just talk to God, say whatever you need to say to Him, knowing that He listens, He's gracious. He's a good Father. You talk to God.